Big interview for you this evening, just because we had so many great people to talk to this week, is Wendy Holden. Wendy's a writer of some renown, actually, and has a number of books under her belt. And her last two projects have been co-writing with Captain Sir Tom Moore. She did his autobiography with him last year. That was when we spoke to Captain Tom on this programme, which is a much treasured memory for me, I should say. And uh, this time round, she helped him to complete, before his death, his brand new book, which is out now, a really cute book called Captain Tom's Life Lessons, broken into 10 sections of things that he recommends you do for a long and happy life. And so we'll talk all about those in this interview. I spoke to Wendy yesterday afternoon, and my first question was how she came to meet with Captain Tom and become such a close collaborator with him, both on the autobiography and on this brand new book, Life Lessons. It came about because I live in Suffolk in East Anglia and he lives in Bedford and we share the same news service, BBC Look East. So um, I saw that he was doing his walk very early days in April. Um, he started, I think, on uh, Easter Sunday, uh, which is, you know, almost a year ago exactly, isn't it? And uh, and I saw that he was doing his walk and I just thought, gosh, I just look at that man. You know, how can we feel anything but joyful when you look at that? You just can't feel sorry for yourself. You can't be un unhappy about the lockdown. Little did we know how long it was going to go on for but, know. you know I just thought he's what the nation needs that's just marvellous so I wrote him a letter uh, I write letters all the time old-fashioned letters with a fountain pen on paper do you uh, and I got his uh, I got his address and I wrote to him and I just told him how much I admired him how proud I was of him he how he was what the nation needed and I told him that my father would have been the same age um 100 last year and he'd also fought the Japanese in Burma and I said my dad would have been so enormously proud of him and of course that then led to later on uh, when, you know, he didn't know at that point that, you know, he was going to generate so much money or so much interest uh, or that anyone would be interested in reading his about his life. And of course, um, when it came to choosing a, a writer amongst the many, many offers, he, he held up this letter and said, I really like, I like this lady. And I always thought it was my dad looking out for me. So that was rather nice. Um, so I went to meet him in May. Um, I had to self-isolate for two weeks beforehand. I couldn't be the person who killed Captain Tom, you know, the national treasure that would have just been disastrous. So I was really, really careful. I had been anyway. Uh, and, and then I went and I met him and he was waiting outside uh, where he walked up and down, which is like the back of the big house there. He was waiting outside in the sunshine for me and I just, my heart melted. It was it was almost like being with my dad all over again, but I also, I didn't, he wasn't a father figure. We were immediate friends. There was just this immediate right. connection. Um, he had such a twinkle in his eye for the girls uh, in, a, in a very nice way, not in a creepy way at all, just lovely. Um, and he was just a joy, joy to be with. How lucky was I that I got to spend most of my lockdown either with him physically or yeah. talking to him on the phone or writing about it metaphorically. So the, the the book, the autobiography that we spoke to Captain Tom directly about would have been October last year. You helped him with that as well, right? How did that come about? Yes, well, I mean, people just wanted to know more about him and he couldn't believe it. I mean, the, the most beautiful thing about Tom is how humble he was, how absolutely constantly surprised he was that anybody would want to talk to him. And you would have experienced that when you spoke to mm. him yourself. Mm. Uh, he always would thank people enormously for taking the time to speak to him. He was just so sweet about it. And when he realised that people wanted to 
to know more about him. He, he said, well, like, you know, I, I, we, we better do it then. Um, and, and, and that's where I came in because that's what I do for a living. But it was just such a joy and such a privilege and an honour to go through his life. And I was, I was taking him right back to, you know, starting with his grandparents yeah. and then working his way through his life, his childhood in Yorkshire, being signed, called up at 20 for the war and, and all that happened after that as well. I was taking him back to memories that he himself had virtually forgotten and he just loved it. I mean, and as he said, well, who else gets the privilege and the, the time and the honour of having somebody sit down and be massively interested in their life and ask them about every single detail? And I, knew, I had no idea if I was going to get a couple of hours a day with him or, or longer, but none of it. He was he was ready to roll from day one. He, 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 he tired me out. Um, <laughs> he was just amazing. It was These stories were pouring out of him. It was all his own words. And it was just a lovely, lovely, delightful thing. And, of course, the book's been a, a, a you know, massive bestseller. 23 weeks in the top 10 and uh, people have just loved it loved it um, so I mean, my abiding memory of seeing dad to talk to him exactly as you said wendy just there was uh when i mentioned my own boys and he lit up as a as a father and i was late to fatherhood you know i was post 40 and i think he was late to fatherhood and um so we had that in common and the minute i mentioned my two boys that was it he was well, he just wanted to know all about me and the boys and he invited us to the house and obviously sadly that that will never happen now and i just thought oh that's a mark of a man isn't it actually you know he's got the world's media on him at that point but he was more interested in me yes he just never lost his curiosity and he had that wonderful um uh, ability to make you feel like you were the only person in yeah. the world at that moment whether you were talking to him on the telephone or sitting opposite him so I sat socially distanced he sat in his his big blue armchair um surrounded by his little bits and pieces and his Terry's chocolate orange which he loved and uh, <laughs> and he had his his pop that he drank um and uh I sat in, the, in an armchair socially distanced away from him and the armchair fill was made out of his his uniform somebody not the actual uniform but somebody had recreated an armchair oh, wow. made out of that that uh, Duke of Wellington's uh, Yorkshire Regiment uniform and it was just like being in a Tom hug, sitting uh, sitting opposite him and, and talking to him and having him just share his memories with me. It was it was a delight. Now, did you know at that point that you had, you know, stuff left over from the autobiography or did you do the autobiography in completion and then this idea of life lessons emerge as a second project, if you like? I think it started to evolve halfway through because there were so many things he was saying that just felt like, you know, gosh, that is just, you know, the perfect soundbite. You know, it was the most amazing little um, guidance about life there there and then and everything he said. So it was it evolved all the way through. And while I was taking notes, I, I knew shorthand and also recording, um, I was I was jotting some of the sort of special ones down or underlining them, thinking, you know, this just could be wonderful. And then, of course, when the book was a success, which he didn't understand, he was so funny. I sent him all the Amazon reviews, you know, and he got something like 5,000, five-star our Amazon reviews and I just picked off the first sort of five, six pages and sent them to him. He said, but I don't know any of these people. <laughs> he, thought, he thought that only people who knew him would want to read the book he didn't understand, you know. And, he, and it was like when Hannah set up his his daughter Hannah, when she yeah. set up his Twitter account, uh, you know, and within the first day had 5,000 followers. He said, well, where are they? <laughs> oh. he, he was so lovely. So it just it then evolved that, that, that there would be this, this opportunity to, you know, have him share his wisdom because when you get to 100 my goodness me you've lived and and he had a life that was you know full of ups and downs and, and yet he managed to survive it and stay so positive stay so resilient he, he was truly one of the most life enhancing people i've ever spent time with well um the 
biggest compliment I can pay you right now is that having read the, the autobiography and now read Life Lessons, there's new information for me in Life Lessons. So if people think, oh, well, I know, I know Captain Tom's story, I've read the autobiography, that what you get in this is a much more personal take of how he lived his life. So in the first book, it's, it's almost a factual historical account, isn't it? This is much more of, this is what I'd do if I were you, mate, kind of thing. And it's really sweet, it's really tender. And actually, I, I felt as someone who was born in the 70s and, and lived through what you and I have lived through, Wendy, that there are things he's telling me that I don't know because the times just were different when he was acquiring that knowledge. That, for me, felt the most valuable thing about life lessons. Yes, absolutely. And I mean, I think the overall, my, people have asked me, what, what's the one thing you sort of learned from him? And I think the thing is that when you get to 100 and you've lived through a global conflict and 13 changes of prime minister and you've been married twice and you've had children and grandchildren and you've, you've lost your wife in the most horrible way, you know, to dementia and four years in a nursing home, you, you know, he, he, he's, he came out of it still smiling, still with that twinkle in his eye. And he said that the, the, the most important thing to remember that is nothing is permanent. You know, you you do these time does heal, and you do move on, and you do things do get better. And and you know, the first book was called "Tomorrow Will Be a Good Day" for a very good mm. reason. He, mm. he truly believed that. And the older he got, especially, you know, as he said, if I wake up, I'm a hundred years old. With I wake up with a hundred year eyes and a hundred year ears that can't really hear. I have to put my hearing aids in, and a hundred year old bones that ache. And and I wake up and I realize that it's another day. You know, this old fuel pump, as he called his heart, because he loved his his engines. Uh, it was still ticking over after 100 years he said well that's a good day <laughs> uh, you know and and if we can adopt that philosophy actually in in our own lives I mean people say live every day as if you're it, you, you know it's your last and obviously you can't really do that and, and he'd be the first to say that but if you adopt the philosophy that when you wake up in the morning it is another day uh, and you're lucky to be to be able to enjoy it then then that's a wonderful way to move forward in your life positively. Yeah, so the first thing I've highlighted to read to you, which is from quite early on in the book, sums that up, actually. And he's talking about being comfortable in your own skin, which actually I think is, a, is one of the most difficult tricks to pull off, Wendy, don't you, in life in general. And he said that men are especially bad at this because they're generally not as good as women at opening up about their feelings or telling people how lonely or unhappy they are. But he writes, an inability to make peace with your own company can become even more of a problem by the time you get to be as old as I am. As age claims increasing numbers of your nearest and dearest, you'll likely be spending a great deal of time alone with your thoughts. This is why it's important to try to learn how to entertain yourself and be comfortable in your skin early on. And I do get the sense from this that he did master that early on, even from a little boy when he used to go and help neighbours, you know, in the area and all that kind of thing, you wouldn't accept their food, all the, the stuff that's mentioned in, in life lessons. You think, yeah, this was a man who was happy with his lot. And I'm, I wonder if we are not our generation and generations younger than us, Wendy, because we've been told to constantly covet and to look at social media, well, they're having a better time than me, I need to be doing what they're doing, that kind of thing. Yes, and he's very firm about that. Don't ever envy somebody else. Always be grateful for what you have. Uh, and remember that there are always people worse off than you. No, I think it's a, it's a generational thing to a certain extent. I mean, you know, when from the age of uh, very, very small, I mean, seven, eight, nine, ten years old, he was out roaming the moors on his own with his dog uh, all day. I mean, he came home for his tea, uh, as he put it. And, uh, and that was it. Uh, that, that couldn't and wouldn't happen in this day and age. Um, he, he knew how 
how to read the weather. He knew where the, where the wind was. He could he could navigate by the stars or which side of the trees the moss was on. And he would come across, as you mentioned, this this you know old people living alone in a remote farm, and he would knock on the door and see if there was anything that they needed or anything he could do to help. So an incredible amount of resilience from a very very early age, and able to um, you know go out and, and just be sort of confident with who he was. Confidence is really it, isn't it? That's what we're yeah. being comfortable in your own self-confidence yeah exactly and of course he's quite right as he gets to be 100 you know all his contemporaries had fallen away he he held these uh, army reunions for 65 years for the duke of wellington's regiment and in the end he was the last man standing which must have been so painful you know just attending funeral after funeral and crossing the names off the address book um uh, and of course uh, you know he was very keen to point out that in the pandemic people were suddenly found they found themselves in the same situation as a lot of old people they found themselves unexpectedly alone they found themselves with everything else falling away and just their own company through no fault of their own and so he was saying how important it is not just for somebody as you're getting in uh, into older age to 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 be uh, self-entertaining and uh, and understand when you're you need help never be afraid to ask for help on mental health issues or anything even if you're just lonely pick up the phone and tell somebody and have a conversation um, take that first step. He was very, very firm about that. Have courage and, and take that first step. Um, but in the pandemic, that was especially important for people. And find joy in every day. You know, he he grew up surrounded by nature on the Yorkshire Moors, and he just loved nature. He loved being outside, uh, and that was uh, something that we've all come to understand under lockdown, isn't it? That, that you know, just the simple pleasure of leaving your four walls and going out into the garden or going to the park or going to the beach can completely lift your mood. And he, and he had learned that from the age of six. Yeah, it's incredible, really, isn't it? I mean, I think, if I'm honest with you, I'm still trying to learn that, if I'm honest. I mean, the, the, just shortly after that. So we should say this book's organised in his 10 life lessons, but even within each subheading, I mean, this what we're talking about now, Wendy and I, is... Um, buried in, in one of the, within one of the subheadings, you know, it's got, uh, there's so much valuable information from um, Tom's vast experience. He says, while I wholeheartedly applaud the way that the young people have embraced technology and I'm grateful for how much they've taught me, I do worry that those already lacking in self-esteem might sometimes be looking for it in the wrong place. It's important that we instill in children the confidence to make up their own minds, have the courage of their own convictions and not measure their self-worth through what others do or think. And that's life in, in one key nugget, isn't it? Absolutely. And he wasn't a Luddite. He was at pains to point that out. And he embraced new technology. I mean, he would phone me on his iPhone, uh, which was Bluetooth to his hearing aid. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we would we would have these lovely conversations. He'd phone me out the blue. Hello, Wendy, I've got something to tell you. I've forgotten something. Um, and so he was he, he, he was relished all that new technology could offer him, particularly in lockdown, particularly when everything that happened with him, he didn't have to leave his armchair. Everyth- everything could be done remotely. And he just thought that was fantastic. Fantastic, and he was incredibly grateful, uh, grateful to the grandchildren and the and the youngsters who were able to talk him through all that. Uh, and he he valued it. He you know he he valued that he could be talking to me about um, being in a jungle in Burma, and I would be able to call up a, a video of that time and show it to him. He couldn't believe that. You know, mm. his day he'd have to go to the library. Mm. But he was also painfully aware of of the pitfalls of social media if you allow it to take over your life and the fact that nobody's actually physically talking to each other anymore like you and I are looking at each other 
in the eye and 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 seeing gestures and and expressions so you have a real sense of what the tone is and uh, and how you're really feeling that that person's really feeling which you can't tell from a line in a in a text or an email or a whatsapp so, mm. so he was very he was very painfully aware of that and he was worried about the next generation largely massively optimistic about the next generation far more op- optimistic actually than I expected him to be but that aspect of it uh, did really worry him he wanted people to to lift their heads and get out and be confident and say hello to people smile at a stranger that was his he loved to do that just to get a smile back what was your because obviously you've sat down and compiled this with him and the autobiography what was the biggest takeaway for you what was the thing that when you got home that night you thought yeah actually that i need to do that Yes, well, it was the positivity, this sense of nothing being permanent. You know, we all go through life's trials and ups and downs and and ill health and goodness knows what else. And, you know, at the time when it's happening and you lose people you love, um, you really feel like you're never going to recover. But the truth is, you know, you will. And we we have an incredible resilience, a built-in resilience. We're incredibly adaptable, um, the human spirit is. And he was just, you know, if you look through his autobiography and the experiences he had, I mean, from from this childhood in Yorkshire all the way through the war, Japan, and then going into the building trade in, in Yorkshire, having a very unhappy marriage, first marriage, and finally mm-hmm. escaping from that and finding love again and having children and grandchildren, you know, all those different things. And then this last year of his life, as he said, who'd have believed I would have had to wait to, to 99 to have an amazing life? Um, and so it just, you know, that's it's that idea that nothing is permanent and you never know what's going to happen. There's always good to be found in everything. That was what he something he stressed over and over again. Um, for example, he had this terrible fall. He he, he tripped uh, loading the dishwasher at ninety eight, mm. um, and um, and he tripped over his own feet, uh, and he fell and he broke his hip and he punctured his lung and he was very very poorly. He nearly died, um, and it was because of that that he lost his mobility. He lost his independence. He couldn't drive anymore. Terrible time for somebody uh, to to realise that they have to rely on everybody. As he said, from then on, he was going to be in the passenger seat, which was a huge thing for somebody who was a bit of a petrol head, frankly. Uh, and loved, you know, all machines and cars and motorbikes and everything. Um, but, you know, he said, look what came out of that. If I hadn't had the fall, I wouldn't have had to, to do more walking. I wouldn't have had to undertake something like the, the little walk that I did. That's right, because people forget the walk was part of the rehab, wasn't it? Absolutely. He, that was the reason he was doing it. He, was, mm-hmm. he, he wasn't recovering fast enough. Uh, so the first thing he did was buy himself a treadmill uh, at 99, <laughs> which arrived at the house. And I heard about that. He hadn't even told the family. No, no uh, one knew who it was for, did they? <laughs> So, you know, that was the first thing. And then he realised that he didn't really like the treadmill because he was stuck inside. And, of course, Tom always liked to be outside. So the first sunny weekend, which was the same sort of weather we're having today, this time last year, uh, Easter weekend, he got his Panama hat on and he got his Zimmer and off he went and started walking up and down the garden. And his son-in-law said, if you do that a 100 times, I could be a pound a lap. And that's how it started. And 40 million pounds later, a knighthood from the Queen and the love of the whole world, frankly. I mean, he he heard from every single nation and was inundated with so many cards and gifts and flowers and, and feelings of goodwill. That he that but that wouldn't have happened if he hadn't had the fall and that and that's that's what his lesson was you know something will always happen that's good out of something even if it's bad. There's a little kind of in joke amongst radio presenters that if you ever host a phone in on a radio station, you can almost draw a line 
uh, of uh, people above a certain age, of which if you say to them, Wendy's on the line, hey, Wendy, how are you? They'll say, not so bad, Phil. Do you know what I mean? And yet you would never get that from Captain Tom, would you? I don't think he ever reached a threshold in his in terms of age where he would wish he, he would tell you that he had something to moan about. That optimism is priceless. Absolutely. He said complaining never got you anywhere and it usually makes things worse. Uh, which is a wonderful, I should have that actually on my wall, you know, frames. <laughs> I think we should all have that on our wall. Uh, and, and kindness, he, you know, thinking of other people was so important to him. His, his lovely expression, his Yorkshire way of saying, kindness costs nout. Uh, I mean, that was really lovely. And the subtitle of the book actually is, is always be kind. Uh, and that's, you know, if you just take that as one lesson, if you choose to be kind, kind to yourself, and kind to others and, and think of other people uh, and think of ways that you can make them happy, which ultimately makes you happy because you get back so much more than, than you give. And, and he learned that very early on and he took that all the way through his life. And my goodness me, it served him well, didn't it? I mean, he very nearly made it to 101. The, um, there's a lovely page in this, quite a poignant page in this book, actually, where he's discussing who he'd like to play him in a, in a film of his life. And I don't know where we're at with that film, if that's going ahead or not, but... You know, at least he's got it on the record that it's Sir Patrick Stewart's from Murfield, but at 80, he's probably too young. And he can't be Sir Ian McKellen because he's from Lancashire. <laughs> he said these things go very deep. <laughs> and he says it with a twinkle, you know, it's always yeah. a twinkle. It's so funny. Whoever it is, he says, I'll be tickled to think I'm inadvertently giving work to a fellow OAP. That's very funny. <laughs> Yeah, he was, he made me laugh every, I mean, you know, every few minutes he'd make me laugh, that'd be something. And he had a way of looking at you, which slightly arching the eyebrow and looking yeah, at yeah. you, and you just knew that he was being facetious or something funny was, was coming. And uh, yes, he was lovely. I, 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 um, he told me about John Collins' cocktails, which was the cocktail that he, he wasn't a drinker at all, but in um, India, when he was out in India in the army, they used to drink John Collins' cocktail, which I'd never heard of. I'd heard of Tom Collins, but I hadn't. Yeah, not John Collins. Basically, it's gin and sugar and uh, and lemon uh, and I'm a bit of a, co a cocktail girl so I made him a, a John Collins cocktail in the evening my goodness me he, he said is there another is there any more in that <laughs> <laughs> we had to make sure he got back to his room all right because you know but there's just that was his attitude say yes to everything and then figure out how you know that was his his whole life was you know if a door opens walk through it see what happens just don't lose your curiosity keep your mind open uh, engage with people engage with everything try everything uh, and it was a wonderful wonderful attitude as you rubbed off on you wendy are you now being more tom yourself well, I am. <laughs> yeah, my husband always says that I, I take on the persona of whoever I'm writing about, but I am na naturally an optimist, so that was good. Um, but, I mean, yes, I, I'm probably the only person who had the best ever lockdown uh, because I got to live with Captain Tom. I got to be Captain Tom, think Captain Tom for a year, and uh, it's just been, you know, I've, I am so, so blessed. I, I, I woke up every single day excited about what I had to do and excited about seeing him again, and I, you know... I, I would have written three more books with him so gladly, I, just for the pleasure of his company. Is there any more source material that might provide another book for you? Or is these life lessons, are we done there? I think this is his legacy and I think yeah. it's his goodbye. Yeah. Uh, I think he knew. I mean, he, he was very um, pragmatic about, uh, you know, physical decline and and, uh, and old age and death. And uh, I guess when you get to, to that age and you've lost all your contemporaries, you have no choice but to be. I mean, it seems hard for a concept for for people who are much younger. Um, 50 years is, well, 50 years. 
and uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm from the Earthers Union, yeah. uh, and the idea of sort of being the only one left of my contemporaries is just horrifying to me. But you know, it happens incrementally, doesn't it? So you you get used to it, and you get used to the idea, and and then you surround yourself with younger younger people. Um, and so he he just. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's the permanent, that, that nothing terrible is permanent, is the thing that's really stayed with me the most. It's been lovely chatting to you. Um, I, I did wonder if it might be, uh, it had potential to be mournful or to be sad, but actually seeing the euphoria in your face, it, it shows the euphoria that Tom lived with and that he imbibed into others. And it's been a real delight to to kind of reminisce with you about that. Even though I interviewed him once, he left a real positive mark on me as well. And it's I'm really pleased that you've now to put this together, Wendy, and also to continue with his energy and spirit. Yes, thank you. Well, I mean, he, he actually phoned me from hospital a few days before he died. Uh, and I could tell he was very unwell. Uh, and he told me he was very poorly. And he was basically phoning to apologise because I had plans to come and see him. Uh, and uh, and he and I promised him I was I was going to make him a Victoria sponge, which was his favourite cake. And I'm the world's worst baker. So oh. it's probably just as well <laughs> he ducked out. Um, but, you know, it was this lovely, um, he, even though he was in bed and he was poorly, I now realise he, he had actually rung to say goodbye. And, you know, I, I wept and wept when he died, even though it was the most inevitable thing in the world. Mm. I you know, really miss him still. And I just feel so blessed that I'm able to to share him uh, along with the family, of course, uh, and all that they've done uh, with the world, because uh, we, we were so very lucky. And I hope he'll be remembered for a very long time. And did you let him know in that last phone call that you'd be getting this book out, that it was ready to go? Oh, he'd, he'd seen the proofs and he'd seen right. the little drawings because there's lovely, darling little um, little li- uh, line drawings all the way yes. through. Yeah. Uh, he'd seen them and he liked them. Who'd done those, Wendy? Uh, I, you know, to my shame, I don't know. The publishers found somebody, and they're very talented. And uh, but he was, you know, he was quite, he was, he was quite determined about a couple of things. You know, he, he, there was one image I think which had the dog on on the lead when he was walking the moors, and as far as he was concerned, that was, you know, no, the dog would never have been on the lead. The dog did what it was told. So, you know, he was just, uh, he, he, he knew what he wanted, and he, he, he made all these, uh, these little changes. And he would phone me up and tell me if there was something I hadn't got quite right, if I'd misunderstood him. Uh, and actually, interestingly. His memory was so extraordinary. I was I was helped enormously by a, a regimental archivist called Scott Flaving and a wonderful um, local historian, Eddie. Uh, and both times uh, he was able to give them things that they didn't know about yet, which they were then able to prove. Oh, right. wow. He actually added to the material that's already there about that particular period. Well, that's wonderful. Uh, this book's wonderful. And thanks for bringing some joy into our lives on a, on a drab Wednesday evening. Thank you so much. It's lovely to talk to you. Wendy Holden, author of Captain Tom's Life Lessons, which is out now. And I really enjoyed doing that with Wendy, and I hope you enjoyed listening to it. And tomorrow we have a 